Welcome to You Are Loved, a podcast with open conversations about healing after suicide and suicide prevention. Join me as we discuss how you can heal after losing a loved one to suicide. Discover how others found hope again in their moments of darkness and how you can truly scatter hope to those who need it most of all. When you do, you can save their life. I'm your host, Crystal Partney. I am a best-selling author, speaker, and suicide grief coach. Together, we can heal. Remember, you are loved. Hello, everyone. Welcome. My guest today is Amy. Amy, welcome. Hello. How are you? I know it's been a while since we last spoke. Yes, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Of course, my pleasure, as always. Before we kind of dive right in, I just want to, you know, turn the virtual mic back over to you, and if you don't mind introducing yourself, and we'll just kind of take the conversation from there. Yeah, um, I am an end-of-life doula in the Los Angeles area. Um, I also work as a yoga teacher as well, so sometimes I incorporate yoga in breath work into my end of life work. Um, and my end of life work, if you don't know what an end of life doula is, it's a non-medical professional that helps to support, um, either the dying person and, or their families, um, at the end of life. Uh, I also can provide end of life planning for people who are not at the end of life. So someone who might be thinking, oh my gosh, I think I need to get my affairs in order, which quite honestly, all of us should be doing so that it makes it a smoother and easier transition for those who are left behind. Um, So I do that as well. Yes, all sorts of fabulous things. And I I agree with you, especially we don't want to think about the end. And Mm -hmm. so having our our affairs in order are is a good thing, right? And especially, you know, when we're talking about um, the the subject matter, uh, in terms of death. But I also know too, that many of our listeners are have lost a loved one to suicide. And so I understand that obviously some things are not planned for and being able to sort of take a gentle approach to it is really something that I want to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely, especially because so many of the listeners are coming from that sort of uh, an experience, um, you know, there's, all, there's such a high level of confrontation with looking at the end of life anyway. Um, but when you're looking at one that has ended very suddenly, very abruptly, unexpectedly, um, it definitely requires a very soft touch to, to go in and talk about this topic. It's, it's a heavy topic. For, the, for everybody on a good day and not, you know, not even considering how on the very worst days. Exactly. And you're right. It's, it definitely needs a softer approach. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I know that a lot of the work that you are involved in and you do on the day-to-day is in that pre-planning stage. What sort of you know, you could call it tips, you can call it advice. 
would you give to someone that is finding themselves in that situation that like me and so many of our other listeners out there that have lost a loved one to suicide and now they're sitting there going, okay, now what? Is there anything that they can do in regards to, I would say, not necessarily tying up those loose ends, but what's a good place for them to start? Yeah, so I think the very first thing to do is really take care of yourself. Take care of yourself in that in that time that in, you know, when it's something that's very new, very fresh. The most important thing that you can do is really take care of yourself and give yourself plenty of time and space for grief. Um, I deal with a lot of grief as well, and I have um, trained as a grief specialist. So you know, because I'm working with people at the end of life, that grief grief's a big topic. We talk a lot about that and. Um, it's different when you have been anticipating a death and you're experiencing what is called anticipatory grief and you know it's coming and you're never ready for it. Even when you know it's coming, you know, this, the day still comes and it's like, oh, it's just, it's a, it's, you, you just always are thinking, gosh, just, just a little bit more time. Um, but when it is a sudden and unexpected loss, and one that has so much um, pain involved, the most important thing is really give yourself time and space. It's going to be, it's going to be painful. It's, you know, um, I would say seek support, seek support from either one-on-one -on -one professional or seek support in a grief support group. Um, and give yourself plenty of time to you know, even each day, even in those days when you're starting to feel like, well, I, I'm doing okay today. I've got, I'm doing okay. Um, I was actually just listening to another podcast where um, someone was talking about carving out 10 to 15 minutes each day. And some, she would take, you know, take like time away, go and shut the door so that she was keeping the other people in her family safe and not scaring them but she would go into a room with blankets or pillows and um, a racket and first would sit quietly, sit in stillness and notice where in her body she is experiencing um, a feeling that might feel stuck, a feeling that might feel heavy, that might feel difficult. And then just breathing there. And she said, and it wouldn't take long, even if she was going around about the day, you know, with everything seemingly fine, when she would sit down and quiet, she would realize that it was there, that there was something physically in her body that needed to move. And she would then start to sob and take the racket and beat the blankets or the pillow or punch it and get it physically moving through her body. Because our emotions are energy, right? Our emotions are energy and motion. Um, that's the emotion. And, um, so that's a really good thing to do when you can't do much else, when you're not ready for anything else. Um, with time and with support and with somebody helping you hold your grief, you know, because grief is something that we need to, it needs to be witnessed. It needs to be held. The space needs to be held with another person, ideally. Um, sometimes it can be held with a journal or it can be held with, you know, some thoughts and meditation or something, but it really is 
is wonderful when another person can witness it and hold that space and say, I see you. I see you and I see the pain you're in and I'm here for you. And there's nothing I can do to fix that pain or take it away, but I'm going to be by your side. Um, so after some time, you might be at a point where you feel like, okay, I don't want to leave anyone else with unfinished business, anything that I could take care of now, what could I do now? There's a couple of really simple things that you can do. You know, one very simple thing um, that you can do. So the one thing that we would prefer to avoid is all the paperwork and all the, the trouble, the hassle that comes with probate, right? If we don't have a plan in place, everything goes, it, everything stops. Everything gets locked, accounts get locked, everything gets frozen. And the, the probate process can take a year, two years, it's long. Um, and in the meantime, any money that's sitting in a bank account sits there, it cannot be touched. Um, so one thing that you can do that's a pretty simple thing is with a basic bank account is to get what is called a payable on death or a transfer on death form, which you, I believe usually have to, I know in California, you have to show up in person for that. You can't just do it online, um, but you can go into any bank branch and say, I have an account. I need a payable on death or a transfer on death form and fill it. It's super simple. It's just fill it out, put who you would have to be your beneficiary. And then on your desk, all that needs to happen is the person needs to be able to pr provide proof that you have died, a certificate of death or uh, something similar. And the money is transferred without going through any probate, without going through anything. So that's a very simple thing. You want to think about all of the assets that you have. And even for people who are like, well, I don't really have anything, so it's fine. But you, you everybody has something. We all have something, a, a bank account of a car, uh, our belongings, everything has to go somewhere, has something, somebody has to deal with it. So with any accounts, any financial things, any 401ks, any retirement plans, um, anything like that, there needs to be a beneficiary designation. Um, if it can't be a simple beneficiary designation, that's where you would need to speak with uh, someone to see if you need a trust or just a will, depending on what your family circumstances are. Um, there are some very simple programs online that are free that where you can make a will and a trust that is legally binding um, and do it free. Um, so if you have a pretty simple, uh, a pretty simple estate, that's one way to do it. Because I know that it also can feel very intimidating and expensive. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't have, when I've spent the thousands of dollars to make it, is it really worth it? And so a lot of people don't really do it. Um, so those are a couple of really simple things that you can do. And, you know, in your will or in your trust, that's where you can say who you would like to take care of what, you know, or to get what whatever the things are, the tangible things. Um, and there's one thing that I forgot to mention that's even more important that, that goes backwards here is an advanced directive. So my personal belief is at 18, we should all be filling out an advanced directive. As once you're a legal adult, 
What do you want to have happen to your body? And who do you want to carry out your wishes in the event that you are unable to speak for yourself? So an advanced directive is the paperwork that solidifies those decisions. Who's going to speak for you? And that's not them making the decision. A lot of times the confusion there, it's a subtle thing, but a lot of times people think that they have to make the decision. If you've done your advanced directive correctly, they're not making the decision. They're executing your decisions. They're advocating for your decisions. So you've already said, this is what I want to have happen. And that person is there to make that happen. Um, as long as you can speak for yourself, you can change your mind as many times as you want. Like I've had people say, well, what happens if I change my mind? And the question is, you know, well, in this scenario, this imaginary scenario, are you, are you alert? Are you awake? Are you able to speak for yourself? If so, the advanced directive doesn't even come into play yet. The advanced directive only comes into play when you can no longer speak for yourself. And then and a medical team needs to know what your wishes would be. And then as far as choosing an advocate for yourself, the, what this, this sometimes it has a lot of different names. It could be called a healthcare agent, a healthcare proxy, uh, durable power of attorney for healthcare. Um, there's a lot of different names like that. Um, the person that you choose needs to be someone who you know will carry out your wishes. So it's not always the most obvious choice. It might not be, you know, your, your mom or your spouse or whatever, because they might not be able to carry out the wishes that you actually want. They might they just, it might be too hard for them, or they might feel um, that they want something else. You know, if you're saying, hey, I don't want to live on a hooked up on machines indefinitely. I, you know, if, a, if doctors are saying that there's not brain activity that is, that looks like there's sign for improvement and I don't want to live hooked on a feeding tube and a, and a ventilator. If that person disagrees and that that's not what they believe, then if you haven't written down your wishes and you haven't made it a legally, you know, a, a clear wish, then you can very well wind up in a situation that you actually don't want for yourself. So that's, a, that's one of the very important things to do. And again, that can happen as soon as you're 18, you could be healthy for the next 80 years. And if in those 80 years, you decide you wanna change your mind, you change your mind, you do a new, a new um, form, not a big deal. And all of these things like the power of attorney, the um, will and trust, all of that, we should be looking at every couple of years or every big life event, um, you know, if you get married, if you have a child, if you get a divorce, if you have a loss in your family, you know, um, if you have somebody as appointed as your healthcare proxy, but they die before you, you got to change that. They're not there to speak for you anymore. So those things need to be looked at. But once you've done, you've done the bulk of the work, just reviewing it is not difficult. So it's, it's really kind of a, like, just grit and get it done situation, get, get it done. And ideally you're doing it at a time where there's not a crisis, where you're feeling healthy, um, where there's not a terminal diagnosis that you're processing and you have clear mind about what you would want to have happen.
Well, thank you, Amy. That has been so informative. And I agree with you. It's important to do those things when you are of sound mind and you mm -hmm. feel well enough to be able to start that process because it can be daunting and it can be overwhelming, especially when you are in the throes of grief and you're processing yes. it all. And when, unfortunately, when we experiencing these tragedies, like a death by suicide, you are often, you're thrown into it and, and your mind just becomes mush. <laughs> At least that yes. was the, the way for me is it felt yeah. like, okay, but when you're able to, as they say, begin to start breathing again, yeah. then you are able to say, okay, now let's, let's go through this. And I would imagine that, like you said, you know, the alternative of when you don't have these things in place and you are experiencing these hardships like probate, like not having all of these documents in place and the that to me only adds to the pain and the the grief that you're already experiencing and so if you're able to sort of take take this on a little bit earlier then that's fabulous yeah it's i i look at this advanced planning as a gift it's a gift to the people who you love who are in your life it's also a gift to yourself because you know that there's a plan in place just in case. And in the back of your mind, you're not wondering. There's no like, oh, I hope this all goes well or, oh, I hope I get to it in time because we never know. We don't know when the last day is going to happen. We don't know. Um, It was something else I was just thinking when you were speaking that, um, I think you said it anyway, but it's, it definitely is a, it's a gift. It's a, it's a really, and it's not easy. And if you can find somebody to support you through that process, like an end of life doula or somebody who can go through that with you, especially if you are recently dealing with a loss and you're and you're already grieving to make sure that you feel safe going through these questions because it's it's a, it can be a little bit intense um, as you can imagine it's it it can be an intense conversation and you want to make sure that you're in the right headspace for answering these questions and um, having somebody walk you through that process can be very helpful. Right, because a lot of it you can do on your own. You know, a lot of it. You know, uh, there's there's plenty of stuff on the internet that we could do on our own. A lot of us just don't because, again, the high level of confrontation of like facing our own end of life. Um, but the, yeah, there's a reason that it that end of life planners and end of life doulas exist because it isn't something that we're tending to go. Hey, you know what? I'm going to do this afternoon. <laughs> let, me, right. let me start with this paperwork. <laughs> yeah, I, I have an idea for today. Right. <laughs> so really, it does help to have, you know, to have somebody kind of hold your hand through it. I want to kind of camp on what you said earlier that you, 
I, I've known you for several years now, and I'm truly grateful for our friendship. And I want to go back to you said that you teach yoga as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to brush by that because I love that about you. And I love how we can bring simple exercises like yeah. yoga into the graving process. So I just want to I just want to camp here for a minute. Do you mind if we just I don't about at that? all? I, I think that it's a, an immensely helpful place um, to put your body and your mind when you're grieving. Yeah. Um, my, my yoga practice. Well, I, I've experienced one of my pretty significant losses before I started doing yoga, but my yoga practice really helped support me through many of my other as you know i've had multiple um and again when we go through a heavily emotional experience our the emotions can get stuck in our body they're basically this like chemical chemical releases and they can get stuck in our body and yoga is a way to move those chemicals around so they don't get stuck so they don't create issues down the road, health issues, and so forth. It also, um, the breath work that is associated with yoga, honestly, helps us remember how to breathe. Because when you're in heavy grief, you I know stop, or you, I, in the you least, stop like, breathing, you stop, you mean, you catch yourself and you're like, Oh, right, right, right. I gotta, I have to exhale as well. Because I know that there have been times where I felt like I'm just all I'm doing is inhaling. I'm just like, you know, the, the breath is all up in the, in the neck and shoulders, and we haven't dropped it down into the diaphragm. Uh, so yoga can be really helpful. The breath work, especially in yoga can be very helpful for grief process. Um, and there are teachers who teach grief yoga. There's some postures like a certain, you know, some certain postures that are especially beneficial really any gentle caring practice is going to be helpful. Doesn't have to be particular, doesn't, you don't have to just go to grief yoga, but it does exist in case that's what you're looking for. Um, but there's, you know, there's yin practices, restorative practices, slow flow practices. Sometimes people like a power vinyasa because it just, you know, power and move the body and get it out. And then lion Shavasana, which is the final posture of yoga corpse pose, where we, again, we practice dying at the end of a practice. It's called corpse pose and you lie on your back and you lie in stillness and breathe. Um, but yeah, yoga's yoga can be an amazing, amazing benefit for, or have amazing benefits for somebody who's grieving. That's fantastic. I didn't know that they they offer something like grief yoga. That is mm -hmm. that is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I would have known that when I was in the in the midst of, you know, trying to process my own sister and and her death. And so that's yeah. a, a fantastic resource that I had no idea existed. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's a few there's a few um, instructors, but one in particular, Paul Deniston. Um, yeah, I think it's D-E-N-I-S-T-O-N. -E um, but if you Google grief yoga, it, his information is going to pop up very quickly. I know there's another 
um, another couple of instructors here in LA who specialize in the grieving process. That is wonderful. And I'll be sure to include that in the show notes so that people yeah. can just click it and be directed to that. Um, Amy, let's talk about it, on this theme of yoga and having it be able to process our emotions. I want to go back to what you said at the start of our conversations that our emotions will get stuck. And I can relate to that because when I would, especially I would say that within that first month of losing my sister, when all I wanted to do was stay in bed, I really mm -hmm. had to force myself to get out of bed because as I have shared before very openly that I still had to be mom. I couldn't just yeah. put my yeah. grief on a shelf and call it good and go about my day and go about whatever it is that I wanted to get done that day or not do that day. I still had to show up and looking back in hindsight, that was one of the biggest blessings because it allowed me to continue forward in a positive way when it would have been so easy for me to just put my grief on a shelf and just be like, nope, you gotta stay right there. I'm just gonna not deal with you or I'm gonna completely ignore you altogether. And then we'll see what time, how this all works out over time. And I remember taking our dogs for walks and my daughter of course would come with me and, and it was, cold. It, she, my sister passed away in March. And so I didn't want to go outside and be active and be, you know, physically move my body. But boy, can I relate to having those emotions feel literally feel like they're stuck inside of me mm -hmm. and not being able to process them when I didn't go outside or I didn't move my body in some form or fashion. Yeah. So Grief doesn't go away if we ignore it. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's a common desire. If I, if I just, wish, <laughs> yeah, right? if I just wish that I could just it, pretend this didn't happen and carry on. And um, there are a couple of different ways that people might, some will, like you said, stay in bed covers overhead, not getting up, not doing, I'm not doing today. Um, I, in my life, I have not had the ability to do that either. Like, you know, similar, I have, I have a young, young child and, um, you know, there's people who, who need me to get up and keep going. That has, that's a mixed blessing. Sometimes it's a really good, like, okay, I've got to get up. I've got to go do, I've got to do at least this bare minimum. Yes. Um, and there were also many times where I thought, I wish I could just stay in bed today. I wish I could just be in bed. And probably I could have made that work with my husband. I probably could have made that deal, but for some reason it just didn't, it, it, it wasn't for me. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's right or wrong for anybody. Um, and that's one of the things about grief is there is no one way to do it. There's no right, there's no wrong. The most important grief is your own. Um, you know, when people try to comfort you and instead wind up telling you all about their grief and you know, you're like, oh, wow, I thought I was gonna get to talk about my person. Um, the most important grief is your own. So um, when we are supporting somebody, it is important to give them the chance to speak without 
interruption without um, taking over the conversation. Um, and the emotions have, they have to go somewhere. Like all of this stuff has to go somewhere. So and it might just be on delay. It might be like, oh, I didn't deal with that 20 years ago. And wow, here it is. And something will trigger it. Something will bring it up. Something, you know, it might be an, an, another death. There might be a death of somebody. And then you realize like, wow, I just never really dealt with that experience. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't go away unless we help it. To, and it never really fully goes away. I don't believe that there's a time limit on grief. I don't believe that, you know, there's a, this prolonged grief disorder that has just been passed through the DSM. There's a new, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but there's now um, something called prolonged grief disorder. It's a, it's a new diagnosis and it allows somebody, if they, if they have not process the grief and somebody thinks that they're a doctor or somebody thinks that it's it's been long enough they can now be medicated because they're still grieving and I just for me I'm just like that well how who's to say who's to say if four months is enough or if four years is enough or if like who's to say when your grief stops when it's over, when it's enough, when you should move on this whole phrase of move on, which doesn't exist. Right. Um, we don't move on. You have, you have the love that you feel it's, it's an energetic change. Your relationship remains and the love remains. The person is not there physically. So your relationship is different and you have to learn how to process that relationship in a new way. Um, so those emotions can get stuck and out of nowhere, I know for me and more than, more than one of my experiences with grief, um, some months later, I would find myself really angry, snapping, snarling, mean, uh, irritable. And the first time that I was really aware of that happening, um, it was kind of like, whoa, I didn't realize I had all this anger. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was there. And then, the, you know, I, I sought some help. I was like, I, I got to figure out how not to take this out on the people who are closest to me because this is not good. Um, the, the, the deaths that followed that time, you know, it's like my husband and I now have seen it and it's kind of like, oh, here, here it comes. Here's that part. Here's that part where you're going to be angry. And it's not a certain number of weeks. It's not a certain number. It doesn't, it pops up sometimes out of nowhere. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'll, won't even know what's going on with me. I don't, I don't know. I'm just in a crabby mood. I don't know. I'm just not, I just feel, I don't know. I'm just grumpy today. And then if I don't figure out what it is often, Later on that day or some point, not long after that, something will happen and it will be the straw that breaks the camel's back and I will burst into tears. And then I'm like, and I really miss my brother or I really miss my mom. You know, it's like, yes, it's like, oh, this had nothing to do with the thing that I'm mad about, you know, like, oh, you didn't, you know, you didn't clean the kitchen the way or whatever. And then suddenly I'm 
bawling and I'm like, I really miss my family. So um, it doesn't go away. We just have to learn how to read those emotions a little better. And that takes time. It takes time and practice, you know. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. And to your beautiful story, thank you for sharing that. Because right after I lost Gina, I had a very similar experience where I was. I was super angry and I kept lashing out at my family and and my husband and my daughter. And <laughs> my husband's the best. He goes, Crystal, I love you. And this has nothing to do with what you're mad about. It's just because you miss your sister. And I was like, holy cow. You're so smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Initially, I thought it was like, no, it does. It does have to do with this. And then you're like, no, okay, you're right. Yeah. You know, when you find it, when, when you find yourself spending most of your day apologizing for what you just said, and then, you know, it's like the cycle of like, snap, snarl, snap, snarl. Oh, shoot. Sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And then five minutes later, it's snap, snarl, snap, snarl again. It's like, okay, what's really underneath this? You know, I, I'm reading um, Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, which is a phenomenal read if you haven't, if you haven't looked it up yet. Um, and she talks about her belief and she said it's widely disputed she's you know she's like i'm kind of an outlier on this particular topic but she said i believe that anger is a secondary emotion not a primary emotion that underneath anger there's usually something else but we don't identify what's under it we just go i'm angry but underneath it is fear grief frustration. There's a, a ton of other things that it could be, but we just are like, I'm mad <laughs> because it's the easiest way for us to figure out the emotion. Right. Right. Um, anyway, it's a great, it's a, it's a great read. Um, but yeah, that's, that was one that I didn't, you know, I, I expected sad. I expected depressed. Um, I expected shock on a, a couple of the losses. I didn't expect anger, not in the way that it came out. Right. Yeah. And like you said, it's some of these emotions that you expect to feel and they're normal and they're natural and whatever you're feeling is completely normal. So 100%. don't feel like you are being, you know, crazy or whatever you want. Yeah say or label it it's it's all normal it's all part of the process and so yeah. amy as we wrap up i just want to you know sort of close and thank you so much for our conversation as we wrap up though how are some of the ways that you know that you feel loved mm. so especially after a loss ways that I knew that I felt love would be when I would receive a, even a simple text, just somebody saying, I'm thinking of you. Doesn't have to be anything more than that. It's just, and I know a lot of times we avoid checking on people because we, we don't know what to say. We're afraid of a big conversation. We have no idea if it's a good time or if I bring it up, is it gonna make it worse? As if we don't know that our loved one has died. Um, 
and I think that ways that I have felt loved would be just a very simple check-in or a, a gesture. Um, one of my friends didn't without any, like there was no conversation. There was no, hey, let me do that. I'd like to, it just showed up with a meal on my doorstep. You know, a random act of kindness, which isn't random on the other person's behalf. They know very much you know, that they're doing something. But so some thinking about those ways. And I think that people who have had losses and who have grieved understand that the most important thing is just show up. You don't have to have an answer. You don't have to say the right thing. It's actually better a lot of times if you don't say anything, mm -hmm. just be there, just be there, be present. And that helps somebody feel loved. Um, and I think, yeah, I think times that I have felt love are, are, are when those who, you know, who are close will make that effort. Yes. It's taught me a lot too about how to show up for other people. Oh, 100%. I agree. It's because we've experienced this. Now we know and say, hey, you know what? That really helped. And to your point, now you know, like, this was extremely loving. I'm going to do that for someone else because yes. you want to pay it forward. You want to reciprocate yeah. that love yeah. and affection and just like you said, just show up. You don't have to say the right thing or say anything at all in order for your just simple presence to be heartfelt. And that yeah. alone will speak volumes, whether you're actually verbally saying it or your non-verbals, I promise you it will make. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I exactly. And I also promise you that bringing up that person and giving the person an opportunity to talk is not going to be a bad thing. We want to talk about our loved ones. We want to share about them. We want to. And if we don't, we're going to say, I don't want to talk about this right now. But often we don't say anything because we don't want to become caretaking of the person who we're supposed, who's supposed to be helping us. And that is what often happens is we, we wind up like they get upset and then we're having to take care of them. And it's like, huh. I didn't, this was not how this was supposed to happen. Um, another thing that I, that I thought about is, you know, sometimes people are not going to show up in the way that we want. They're not going to show up how we want them to. They don't know how. Um, and sometimes we have to ask. We have to speak up and say, you know what? tomorrow is the anniversary and I am really feeling a lot of feelings. Could, could you give me a call tomorrow and just let's talk on the phone or, you know, tomorrow is my, my loved one's birthday and I don't know how I'm going to feel. I've made plans, but please don't be upset if I wind up canceling or could we go do something that it might be on their radar or it might not be on their radar. And it's, I know it feels like yet another thing that we have to do, but it's how we can take care of ourselves and show ourselves love and make sure that we're, because 
I think probably most of our friends, nine times out of 10, if they're like, oh my gosh, it's their birthday tomorrow, of course, let's do something. Let's go out and have dinner or let's meet for a coffee or I'm going to call you and then do it. Um, that's going to make the person feel loved. Even if I had to initiate, even if I had to say, could you please do this for me? I need, I need a little support. When the person does it, oh my gosh, it's as if I didn't ask, you know, it feels that good. And the, the other part of that is to make sure that we do things for ourselves, that we take care of ourselves, that we definitely give ourselves the time, the space, you know, that we say what we need. If we, if, you know, there's a party coming up, but it's also the anniversary of the person's death or a special day to say, you know what, I really want to be there for you, but that's going to be a really tough day for me. And I, I would love to make it up to you and do something another time. Protect yourself, protect, give your, protect your heart and give yourself the permission to take care of yourself. Cause a lot of times we go, 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 go. And then we, then we're resentful that someone's not taking care of us and we're not getting what we need. And we haven't, we haven't taken care of ourselves. We haven't asked for support and we don't read each other's minds as much as we wish we did. You know, we just don't read each other's minds. And if you are supporting a friend, you can even say to them, I don't know what you need right now, but I'm here for you and I'd love to support you. So it's harder in the early days to do that because the person who's grieving doesn't know what they need either. So that whole kind of empty, like, just let me know if you need anything. Do, don't do that. Show up and do something, do something. I'm going to come over. I'm going to do your laundry. I'm going to pick up your kid from school. I'm going to bring dinner over, do something. But if it's a matter of, would you like to talk about this person or would you prefer we don't? Ask what the person needs. I love this list and you're absolutely right. And thank you so much for sharing because it's so, it's so true. Everything that you've said is, and I'm, as you were speaking, I was like, yep. I was thinking of these moments where, where it was a little bit nerve wracking and being like, oh my gosh, do I really want to say something that seems a little like awkward for on my part, but it's like, no, Crystal, this is necessary. This is what I need and be bold enough to ask for it. That's one of the most bravest and courageous things you will ever do is to yeah. be able to be, I don't want to say so in tune with yourself, but just simply being aware and saying, no, this is what I need right now. And don't yeah. push it aside. Yeah, absolutely. And don't you be afraid because yeah. people want, they want to support, they want to help. Nine times out of 10, somebody wants to help you. They just don't know how. And so they do nothing or they kind of withdraw because they don't want to make things worse and they don't know what to do. So occasionally, you know, giving them a little guidance is not a bad thing. Right. If you want flowers for whatever reason, say, I want flowers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And wouldn't it be great if we did that in every aspect of our life, regardless of grief or whatever, if we actually just spoke up and said, here's what I need. Right. Yeah. Here's what I need. Could you help me with that? 
Well, Amy, how can people connect with you? Because I know they're going to want to. Uh, my website is crosswithcare.com. Cross, like you're crossing the street, like I'm a, a crossing guard who's escorting you across. Uh, so crosswithcare.com. Um, and my email is amy at crosswithcare.com. Those are probably the easiest ways to reach out to me. Well, fabulous. And like I was saying earlier, we'll be sure to include that in the show notes. And I just wanted to take a moment and just say thank you again. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I hope those that are going to be listening will enjoy it as much as I have. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this episode of the You Are Loved podcast. For more information about suicide prevention, be sure to check out owlandthistle.com. That's owl as in the bird. Woo-hoo! And if you're coping with the loss of a loved one due to suicide, we've been there too. And for more information, check out our sister company found at scatteringhope.com. Please like and subscribe to this program to stay current with all of our episodes and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Owl and Thistle or Scattering Hope. As always, remember, you are loved.